Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. Uh, so, happy Thanksgiving, Gabe. Yesterday was Thanksgiving. What would you do? What would you do that was so important on Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving? No, <laughs> All right, let's start over again. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Yesterday was Valentine's Day. Gabe, how was your Valentine's Day? What, what did you do? Oh. It was so important that we couldn't podcast last night. I'm not the only person in the world that can't make plans without their spouse on Valentine's Day. Am I? What, what did you say? Was that correct, what you said? Yes. Uh, if I were to make plans that didn't include my wife on Valentine's Day, I'd be ostracized. Is that the word? What's the word I'm looking for? In hot water, in trouble. In the doghouse. In the doghouse. So I said, hey, we can't do these on Valentine's Day. Who are you? What kind of husband are you today? It's fine. You know, you you put your foot down. You put your uh, marital foot down. And I think um, Ben and I kind of respected it. Yeah, sure. Can we backpedal a little bit? We, we have not. I, I don't know how your uh, Super Bowl chili thing went. Oh, right. We won. You did again. We did. We did. I mean, we actually tied with, with somebody who had a boar chili, a chili made out of boar. Oof. But our chili was really good. I really thought it was terrific. Like, I mean, it was really fucking good chili. And I was proud of that. And then we won hottest. Tell us um, the name of your chili again. It was called John Jardinier Jingleheimer Schitz. Nice. Back to basics, baby. In, in parentheses. Back uh-huh. to basics, baby. You already know, baby. So we, we won hottest. And then we tied with this guy who, who did a, a boar chili. And... Turns out that this guy was like, you know, a legit chef. Uh, so I was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll totally take that. So you don't try those chili with meat when you're there, do you? No, sometimes uh, I think about like eating around the meat, but like that guy's chili and a few others, you don't even know where to begin, you know? Right. Like you can look at the white bean chicken chili and sort of see. But then I was just kind of like, nah, it's, it's just not worth it. And I'm not, I'd like to try them, but I don't eat meat. What, what can I do? 
There was one other guy who had a vegetarian chili, and he he brought it as a direct uh, challenge, and he he tied for second, so that worked out too. So he screwed you. If he wasn't there, you would have had enough votes no. of, of people. No, 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 who no, no. no one been, screwed no. us. We, we came to play, dude. We tied. No. With, with an exotic boar meat chili. <laughs> no, that's like the World Cup ends in a tie. Who cares? You wasted three hours of your life and you never saw a winner. Are you kidding? I'm Two no. years in a row, we place at the top with a vegetarian chili at you, Liars Club? Yeah, I'm impressed that you placed you give two years up. in a row with two different vegetarian chilies. How different was this year's chili from last year's? Well, last year's was a Chilaquiles chili. Mm-hmm. The Hey Killer Chilaquiles Killer Chili. This year was an Italian-style chili. Um, so we, we, we definitely zigged when we could have zagged or not zagged. Speaking of zigging and zagging, Gabe, who do we have on the show today? Today, after a long wait, we finally... After many negotiations back and forth. Yes, finally got Walter Schreifels of... Gorilla Biscuits, Quicksand, Rival Schools, Fame, and others. Finally got him on the show. He's going to be here. That's the plan. And you're going to have a chance to show him your your Gorilla Biscuits jacket and show it off. Oh, that's right. You're not going to be able to do that. Show him a picture of the jacket. Because he destroyed that jacket. It was destroyed, correct, that happened, but I didn't do it on purpose. Who would have thunk? Taking their hand-painted Gorilla Biscuits jacket to the dry cleaners would ruin it. Me. Everybody. Everybody here, except for you. Okay. But I also I also get to thank them for writing the intro text to my hardcore fanzine book. 1989 to 1992. I've been reading this all day, by the way. But, but it is interesting because it, it's only like three to four years, and things moved pretty fast. Things moved pretty fast back then. Not, it didn't feel like it back then, but today it feels like it was really quick. You're packing a lot of shit in there, and there's a couple of interviews in there with Walter back in the day. Was that the first Quicksand interview that maybe anybody did? Did you get an exclusive? Uh, I wouldn't say it's the first, but it was pretty early on because the, that was before Slip, for sure. I'm just saying it, it was pretty quick. It was pretty fun. We, it was backstage at the uh, the Vic? Yeah. And, it was uh, at the Vic? Yeah. It was Bad Religion, uh, Youth of Today, All, in Shelter. It was a pretty, pretty, pretty big show. And Quicksand. And Quicksand. Yeah, you're kind of hardcore on some of those questions. Uh, there's one question that you, well, this wasn't much of a question. It was more of a, a Gabe Dickhead comment. But you were like, you said, at one point I was looking around and it didn't seem like anybody was into it. <laughs> Does that sound like a nice thing to say to somebody that just got off stage? Uh, I remember that specifically because people didn't know what the hell they were watching because they were so different. It was so fresh. People were like, am I supposed to dance? Am I supposed to mosh? Some of this time is not, you know, 4-4, so what is it? You know, mm. that's what I was trying mm. to say, but I didn't. it didn't come off that way. No. It was me being 18 years old and not knowing how to ask questions to people I looked up to. Now look at you. Now, <laughs> well, it's a it's a good book. Do, do they still have copies? Uh, I I have copies over at GMP Records. I got some copies. You can check it out. Nice. Or you can find them at 
other booksellers. It's 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 fun. You got any bits for us on this episode, Gabe? Me? I need a bit. It's your turn or Ben's turn to go with a bit. I had a question for a, a, a one shot with Scott, but but Scott, you uh, suggested something that I wasn't quite clear about what you meant, and I thought maybe you were drunk when you texted us. I was drunk. Um, uh, okay. It it would be a uh, like a favorite of something, so it could be uh, most favorite or wait, what was the name that I had for it? Um, best, uh, best, this, that. What's the best? Know. What's the best? So it could be like that, and then we just pick something that we think is the best say uh best van halen record what's the best gabe what's the best van halen record van halen one by far no doubt see i thought you might go fair warning no they can't top van halen two is their second best but they can't top one that's back to back to back you can't stop it i think uh <laughs> i think jump notwithstanding 1984 is a really good, fucking strong record. No, yeah, I disagree. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going 1984 because keyboards. Because it, <laughs> there's only two songs with keyboards on it, and one of them is great. Jump. I'll wait. No, and I don't even mind jump. There's something really confident about jump. Like, yeah, we're doing this, and it's going to be a huge hit, and it was. I think I'll wait. Was that co-written with Michael McDonald? It should have been. <laughs> it's a good song. Panama is great. Half Particular is great. Okay, okay, but it's not. Drop Dead Legs. Top I can't Jimmy. get past Jump. Can't get past Jump. That sounds like a YP. Uh, ben? Uh, did, you, did you guys ever hear the Aztec camera cover of Jump? Yeah, it's good. The live, the live cover is yeah. the one that I like, though. The really yeah. big, long solo. Yeah. See, picking Van Halen 1 and 2, it's obvious. Yes, so that's it's, it. It No, it's like somebody going paranoid is the best Sabbath record. It's too obvious. Ben, you're, you're the best Van Halen record. OU812. What's the best? <laughs> like Ben's it. disqualified. <laughs> That was the perfect answer, actually. So, Gabe, so this special night was just you eating pizza, watching Netflix. That's what you do every night. I don't understand how this was a special night. It's just Valentine's Day. You don't want to mess with it. You cannot make plans without your significant other. Yeah, but you made it sound like you were going to go to Olive Garden or something special. Is that where you like to go? No, to Olive Garden? I, no I don't go to Olive Garden. <laughs> We had a bad experience at Olive Garden one time, anyway. Oh, tell about that. No. <laughs> People are having good experiences at Olive Garden? Uh, I'm just saying, you, you have a way of picking days that are supposed to be used for other things, saying, let's do the podcast this day. And I'm like, I'm no, I'm putting my foot down. Not oh. Valentine's Day. I got to draw the line. Hold the <laughs> Hold the phone. This is. The I know what time. you're talking about, Gabe. Walter. You're talking about like holidays. Like we've done Thanksgiving. And yeah, we did Thanksgiving. Right. We did. I think we might have done a Christmas one. Yeah. I know. I, it's, I, I ask a lot of you. I'm very sorry. Once a week for how many weeks now? 105, 106 even. 
It's really starting to wear on you, isn't it? <laughs> Hang on a second. I, I want to tell a story, and maybe this will be the bit. Uh, I was talking to somebody uh, about uh, Burt Bacharach yesterday. Oh, yeah. And R.I.P. as well. Raquel Welch, R.I.P. Yeah. Yes. She's a 10. But That's this person does. said to me, uh, who's Burt Bacharach? Um, and I just thought that he's one of those guys who, no matter what, like you just sort of know the name. Like, I have a cousin who, after the year the prince died. Who's this asshole died, that you're talking to? I, I don't want to get into that. Okay. Just somebody who sh- who's of an age where they should know who Burt Bacharach is, who listens to enough music. But, I mean, I think it transcends if whether or not you're a music person or not like my sure cousin, he was in austin powers you know right my cousin is a year older than me and when prince died he said to me you know i don't know a single prince song and i'm like you've you grew up in the united states the same years that i did it's not possible that you don't know a single prince song i mean i i played him some prince songs like i don't I, i've never heard any of these like, okay it's like Gabe saying that he didn't know a zebra song. Of course he did. I still don't. Turns know out he's song. a huge zebra fan. I forgot the song already. Okay, but what's every, going back to Scott's bit? What's the best Burt Bacharach song? And this is hard. What's the best? Best Burt Bacharach song. Uh, I, I, over the past few years, have become very fond of uh, my little red book. I like that one. Gabe? Don't ask me. I couldn't tell you a Burt Bacharach song if I oh, heard it. I, I know his... You found another s- fucking guy, right? Here. I know his sound. I just don't know his song names. Say a little prayer? W- what about That's What Friends Are For? That's What Friends Are For? He wrote this? Hmm? Uh, close to You? Close to You. The I was going to say Close to You is jam? the same one. Uh, is the best one. Close oh, to so You. Always a, something there to remind you? He's prolific in the hit making. Always something there to remind me or remind you? Me, sorry. Always something there to remind me. So that Naked Eyes song is a cover? Yes. I feel like Gabe Rodriguez. Holy shit. Are you kidding me? I didn't know that. What's the best? <laughs> so since you don't have the jacket, Gabe, are you gonna, what are you going to break out to impress? You got like a Gorilla Bis- Biscuits bobblehead? You got it is. Like, it's not a bobblehead, but you got seventeen copies of the Gorilla Biscuits record. I have the Gorilla Biscuits cartoon figurine. You know, like they have a Danzig one, they have a Rollins one. This is that has that never come out of the plastic? And it's not going to. <laughs> it might one day. You're, you're smothering that poor gorilla. I'm just saying, Scott. We got to get on the on the ball with this merch stuff. They have figurines. You, you know, looking at that figurine, it is giving me an idea for a figurine. I don't but like that, where this is going. It's, it's you. <laughs> you with your arms folded like that figurine. And we can change the face a little bit. And then on the back, you have... What used to be a Gorilla Biscuits. What used to be a Gorilla Biscuits. <laughs> yeah, but then I'll hear... But, but it's just a sad, flaked out Gorilla Biscuits Wait, can that, that figurine now? also have a removable uh, Gabe long hair from back in the day? Like you could take it on and off. Red, a big red mane of. No, no one will know who he is. He's got to. He's got to keep the. 
He's got to keep the bald pate that he has cultivated low these many years. I feel like there should be a Gabe circa the uh, cable access show and then current day Gabe. (laughs) You need two different figurines. That was when Gabe was doing the more of the knuckle dragging type of thing back then. Or third Gabe where he's wearing those sunglasses on French TV. I think those are the three or you know i think one figurine with different accessories you no, should, you know, it's like it's like a barbie doll you got to put different outfits on you don't know it the, is like a barbie you doll. don't you don't know the glee you had after the shows with stp where they said how many game shirts did you sell tonight and you would say three or four and, you know and it'd be three or four and i'm like no that's that's not cool you, yeah you, you know i think yeah i think a uh What's what's the name of the gorilla? Does the gorilla know. and the grilled biscuits have a name? I don't think it has a name. I don't think so. I think it's just the gorilla. Yeah, we could do a Gabe gorilla thing. <laughs> oh, hold on. Put it away. Here comes Walter. Hey, everybody. It's Walter Schreifels. What's up, everybody? How are you? Hi, Walter. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to, that we could uh, could get a chance to talk. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for doing this. You just got back from a yoga retreat in India? Yes, yes. I was in India for all of January. Is that something you do every year? No, it's the first time I've ever... I've always wanted to go to India, but um, it just never like made sense, or I just never pulled the trigger. And then I just thought, oh, well, my friend does a retreat there, and um, he loves it, and I've seen like all these pictures of people having fun, and um, so I decided to just go for it, and it was, it was, I'm really glad I did. I mean, I can't think of... A musician going to India without thinking of the Beatles and uh-huh. did you go there and write 30 songs I didn't even bring a guitar um, okay. because I didn't want to carry it at the airport and also I kind of wanted to be like not in my um, you know I love gu- having guitars around but it's also just like I'm always just grabbing it and kind of killing time really with it and I just wanted to be out of that right habit for like a month and just see where my energy would go right right kind of hard to be present it's hard to go on a retreat with the guitar yeah because i've always got some great idea i got to get down you know mm-hmm. what i mean and so it's nice to escape from that sort of madness well you've got a history with gabe and you know i was uh going through the hardcore fan fanzine thing today uh-huh. uh and reading some of those old interviews yeah and that was pretty good i mean it's funny because that zine only spans about three or four years Mm-hmm. But th- through it, it, I mean, it shows how quickly things were moving back then. I mean, especially for you, one issue has you in Gorilla Biscuits, and the very next one has you on tour with Quicksand. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that freaked me out looking through that thing today. Yeah, like, things were but, moving really fast back then. Yeah, it was. It was really cool. I mean, I, I think it was. Um, it, and I think that Gabe's fanzine really documents it well. And I think being. Um, being in Chicago, so being in the midpoint and catching like the waves of bands like that were touring. That's what I really liked about um, about Good and Plenty and and reading it now is that it you know you were seeing um, what was happening in this little music scene from such an interesting va- vantage point and like and it was fast moving and that's like a healthy thing I think. Yeah, at back back in the eighties or late eighties when when zines were like the best way to find out new music besides going to the record stores you, you mm-hmm. buy the records from the record store and then you buy the zines 
and you see the pictures of the bands and interviews with bands that are like your your contemporaries even though i'm not a musician i just felt like comfortable you know meeting bands and talking to bands at shows but I, I never got to thank you for writing this thing this intro to my book there or my fanzine book but mm -hmm. that was pretty incredible uh to read some of the stuff that you wrote about i, I was pretty i was pretty humbled oh man gabe I'm, uh, that's fantastic I'm, I'm i'm happy you liked it i mean reading you know just how it all progressed and like you're you know it's kind of an inside out thing because while you're reporting on this sort of the scenes progress it's also about you and what's happening with you and so um as a representative of of someone that was you know paying attention to all this stuff and uh so i really related to that because i think it was something that um you know the musical styles and um uh you know the way things were just going and the nature of something like that how it kind of like you know, like a wave, it kind of like sort starts to form and then it crests and then it kind of like crashes. And I think Good and Penny, Good and Plenty, like nicely documented that. And it, you know, it starts in crew cuts and ends with long hair. You know, it's like <laughs> it's great. Yeah, and actually, it's, it was actually in reverse for me. I had the long hair back then, and now I have right, <laughs> which I thought was cool. I remember meeting you, and I was like, Gabe's got long hair. That's cool. You know, he's like got his own thing happening. He's not. Um, getting a shaving his head like everybody else and look look what he did look what you got for that that's amazing <laughs> i actually, I actually mean, had the, to i, I had to ask yeah. uh the the publishers chris uh sloboda i think is his name uh -huh. if if you if he helped you with this stuff that you wrote because you were like you were spot on with some of the stuff that nobody ever even knew that i was doing and i, I was like you must have some some pretty good ideas to write down because you you really got you really nailed a lot of the stuff do you ever think about writing on your own like this I guess when I was writing that, because it's a pretty long piece, yeah. Um, I thought, well, I could just keep going at this point. I mean, it's not like super long, but um, so in that, that was another thing that I, I thought was really cool about writing that piece. I've written lots of like little page long things, but this was more reminded me of, um, you know, like when you in, in high school or college, you know, you have to write like a term paper and it's just a bit more ex extensive. Only like I was really interested in what I was writing as opposed to like, <laughs> I didn't feel like the need to like write. Um, what are those things where you like put down this like cited sources and shit? I didn't have to do right. any of that. Um, you just had to want to make sense. And also that, you know, like I was saying before, it's like not only, you know, the things that you were writing about, I experienced them in my own way, you know, come from perspective of being in New York. And also just being a part of like where you were writing the fancy and I was like in doing the, the actual band or whatever, like in the, on the music end of it. And um, I really related to your observation at the time and also like how your path or, or what I read into your path as, as it related to mine. And I thought that was really interesting and, and, uh, you know, I, I wonder what, you know, for people that have like no frame of reference um, would make of this little thing. And th and I guess like when I was writing, I was trying to like uh, s somewhat appeal to, to that person as like, this doesn't matter. The music doesn't matter. It's just the thing about the progression of scenes and, and how people are and like what they talk about and, you know, I think that obviously music is is very powerful kind of you know 
flag to plant down or, or, or like, you know, some, some sort of, or it has some sort of um, lasting value, you know? Um, but I think just, yeah, these scenes just kind of happen all the time, you know, and, and uh, in big ways and small ways. And this was the one that I was a part of. And um, so I, I think it's interesting more about how these things happen more, more than like the particulars of it. Although it's interesting one, like straight edge and all this kind of stuff that I think, um it still uh shapes people and uh you know diy like all these kind of philosophical or ideological things that like you know little teenager kids are talking about when i see little teenager kids now i'm like oh my god like mm. they, we should not let them drive they're too young <laughs> you, you know and yet they're very smart like we you know and and very um yeah, they're wise beyond their years. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know if wisdom's the right word, but just maybe our, our interest in in this music scene and all the different facets of it um, took some weird people, but some smart people. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you when you see like once again, we're just talking about like three to four years, and there's this sense at the end of of Good and Plenty's run where there's this sort of almost grizzled attitude that sets yeah. in you know and it's like people are barely 20 21 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's like oh man you know been through a lot it's it's like the first time you're like over it when you're like 21 or something like that yeah. or maybe you get a little bit like senior high school like you know like whatever you know what i mean like i don't have to do anything and then you're 21 like you did some bullshit and then you're yeah you're you're over it you know right and, it and was there's cool also to, it's cool to feel that way yeah, but you're also like, what am I going to do with my life? And it's mm, like, yeah, dude, yeah. what are you in such a hurry for? Yeah, I mean, you know, I th I guess maybe like I didn't really have, and I, I I'm pro probably, you know, I don't think I'm so it's so unusual, but like the plan that I, only thing I had really thought of growing up was, um, you know, you finish high school and then you go to college for something. And then when you finish college for something, then you're just doing whatever that thing is, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, it's almost like the story ends when you're around 21, especially if you're not going to college, like, okay, shit, you know, what am I doing? What, who am I? What's, what's going on? You know, like you don't really have, um, yeah, you want to have a sort of a plan because the rest of it, you don't really know. You know, I guess you could think, well, I guess I'll get married and have kids or, you know, the kind of things that are just sort of like, projected on you to do you know and um and i think you know we were a generation that like was you know was new you know like our our experience was different from our parents experience and our kids experience is different from our experience what, what got you into playing music where that that light went off in your head uh, i just thought it was really cool i i, I loved um i loved like Yellow Submarine, I thought at such a young, when I saw it, I was so little and it just blew me away, like all the songs and the kind of personality of of, of the Beatles. And, um, you know, my dad was into surfing, so I loved the Beach Boys. I thought they were so cool. And uh, the Rolling Stones, like I got one of their albums and they were so sort of ugly looking and <laughs> strange, you know? Yeah. And then I would stay up really late when I was little with my cousin sometimes. And if I could just stay awake, I would watch Saturday Night Live and I would see like really 
I remember seeing the B-52s on Saturday Night Live. I was probably like nine years old or something and just being blown away and just feeling like, oh my God, this this is my, these are my people. You know, Fred Schneider's my guy. Right. I mean, how was that for you? Like, like you're from New York. Mm -hmm. So like, like being like sort of in the same area as all that stuff that's going on. I mean, for me, it felt like it was another planet but did that feel like another planet to you or did you go mm. this is right down the street uh well i grew up in rockaway beach which is you can see manhattan from rockaway but it's it's really far away and especially if you're nine years old it's not like you can right get there or do anything um i think when i was a little bit older i started to feel more connected to it but you know when i was little like you would know things that were going on, you know, like, um, you know, whether it's like son of Sam or, you know, uh, like, um, studio 54, you know, things that people were talking about, like, that's what people you'd hear about as a little kid and just be like, Oh, that's a thing. Um, well, you also, you had the Ramones singing about Rockaway beach. That too. Absolutely. Yeah. So I saw the Ramones movie, uh, rock and roll high school, when I was probably 12 or something like that, 11 or 12. And uh, it was part of a, um, a double feature with the, the kids are all right. Um, the Ooh. movie. Ooh. So I guess, I don't know which one came first, but I think it was the kids were all right. Cause I was my cousin. And then the double feature was the, was rock and roll high school, which we just kind of stayed to be like, Oh, well, what the fuck is, what is this about? It's for free. And um, the kids were all right, surely like seared my brain. Right. And then Ramon's movie was like, just knocked me out completely. I just thought like, you know, I had the sense obviously that the, the thing about the, you know, Beatles and the Who and all these kind of things is this massiveness about them, how it's like sensational with girls screaming and, you know, all these like epic uh, you know, explosions and it's just very big. Um, and seeing the Ramones rock and roll high school, it was about being small, but for like the right people, like these the punks, you know what I mean? And how like they were the cool people and these sort of, um, you know, accepted people were actually not cool. And right. seeing like the, um, their live performance, it, it just seemed like that's was the craziest people ever like that goes to those shows and so i i definitely wanted wanted to be a part of that and then, you know that rock they had a song called rockway beach and my friend had all their my friend's older brother had all their albums so i just go over his house and just listen to the ramones albums and eventually um i had enough you couldn't find them is is actually another thing it's like you would go to like sam goody looking for Ramon's record and they wouldn't carry them. You know what I mean? Like they might in other places, but I was limited to where I could get, you know, get to on a bus and get home before dinner. Right. And, um, but yeah, so heard that stuff and, you know, cassettes and, you know, uh, shared cassettes and track down, uh, as I got older, I started to like wake up early and go to the city on the train and then just try to find other record stores. And then I started to like get some luck, like found, got a Dead Kennedys record. Um, you know, it just kind of like went from there. But, um, but you know, I guess like initially just the Beatles. And then I, I learned how to play guitar with a friend of mine. Um, we were super into ACDC. And um, 
and you know we had like a band he played lead i played rhythm and started writing the songs and they would just be about like making fun of people in our class or <laughs> you know basically and uh and yeah that kind of just got me on the road of it By the time I got into the hardcore scene, I had my my mom had moved to an area closer to the city. So now I was in Astoria and Astoria was like one of the main places for all this hardcore stuff, like Krauts from Astoria, Murphy's Laws from Astoria, um, uh, Urban Waste from Astoria, uh, Heart, Heart Attack. All, all these bands are, you know, very centered in this crowd. Did I say crowd? Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started going to shows at CB's. And when I got to shows at CB's, I was so excited to be a part of it. But in fact, it was not that great. You know, it was just sort of the bands like, you know, Minor Threat, like like at my school, at my high school, there was this one kid that was into hardcore or he saw that I was into hardcore. I must have had like a Sex Pistols pin on or something. You know, who knows what, what my signaling was that I was, it couldn't have been too too good um but anyway someone picked up on it goes hey you know i see you're into punk do you want these records like i don't want these records anymore and he gave me like a whole stack of records it was like all this um like all the discord like the first bunch of discord singles um yeah urban waste uh all these british singles like red alert uh the, the blitz um uh punk singles you know like exploited uh so he was like, just but, done with all that basically yeah i don't know what he was thinking it was insane but these records had been made like maybe two years before because this was probably like 85 i'm guessing so like you know minor threat records they were made what like probably like 81 and 83 or 82 somewhere around that time and so he just gave me all these records so i'm just getting all this shit like almost like the internet you know where it's like you're getting it all at once yeah. and i'm just digesting all these records and send in seven inch i had the fatty p meat i had meat men i had like the process of elimination i had cool like touch and go stuff oh my god it was insane and um and they were all just new to me and um so i'm gobbling up all these seven inches and the best ones were like uh you know minor threat negative approach all these um hmm. that was the what stuff that appealed to me the most and so when i by the time i started going to show at cb's like all those bands had broken up like negative approach had broken up minor threat had broken up um you know all these like bands that i was really psyched on were either broken up or you know like descendants were still together but it was like they seemed old although they were probably like 21 it was just like they seemed (laughs) old and over it you know what i mean yeah and um so the scene was sort of like getting and agnostic front and these bands like was trying to be bigger so they were trying to get onto like more of a metal scene Right. I was like, I like, I love metal. I, you know, I wouldn't say ACDC is metal, but like, 
I am into like hard rock sounds, but I didn't, I wanted it to be hardcore and punk. I didn't want it to be metal. You know what I mean? That's what I was looking for. So when Youth Today put out their seven inch, can't close my eyes, it was like paying homage to, it seemed to me, not, it didn't matter because it was just so good. It didn't matter what it was paying homage to, but like the whole straight edge thing, um, you know, the way that the, the music sounded, it was fast and raw, like hardcore music was in like 1982 or, or 83. And um, in a way it was almost like the Stray Cats bringing back rockabilly, you know what I mean? They, mm -hmm. brought, they brought back the real shit to be appreciated again. And, you know, while I liked some of the crossover stuff was going and now obviously I can see that there was some, some amazing shit that was like happening um, with that kind of thing. It was the hardcore thing that spoke to me because I think the ideology behind it was really powerful, um, you know, and was suited me because in truth, like the hardcore scene in a lot of ways was very um, nihilistic and kind of, um, yeah, a lot of drug use and just, you know, kind of being bad, you know, and while right. that has, a, while that appeals, like, it's not really who I am, you know what I mean? At, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to beat people up. I don't want to yeah. be a part of this, you know, uh, I don't want to steal anything. I don't want to like cause it. I, I'm just not in, that's not my fun. And a lot of it was like that. So you today was kind of coming in as like, Hey, you can just be cool and be nice. Don't be a racist and, you know, maybe become vegetarian and let, and let's have a good time and mosh and the mosh parts are great. And he's let's go skateboarding. Like that spoke to me. Right. And, and the imagery of it was really, really strong and easy to get. And, um, not only spoke to the kind of, you know, the, the, you know, the look of like say SSD and, you know, uh, that that kind of cool like sporty sort of look um it made it cooler by celebrating it you know and sharpened it and um and so then you could kind of it was weird going to high school and dressing like a jock from the suburbs people just didn't know what to make of me right <laughs> and and um and that also appealed to me rather than being like okay i'm a punk you got a mohawk see right how did all those ideas segue into gorilla biscuits Real Biscuits, we were just kind of a funny band. Like, I just wanted it to be fun. And, like, uh -huh. uh, so I wanted it to be, like, Descendants at first, you know, because I just really like how the Descendants have these melodic songs. And they would have these funny, like, short songs. and Oh, farting, yeah. Yeah, stuff like, I mean, that's not my sense of humor exactly, but, yeah. like, but they were fun. And yeah. so Grill Biscuits started out like that. And, um but then once we saw Youth Today, we're like, God damn it. Now we're called Gorilla Biscuits and we're all goofy. And we want to be like that. So like we made a turn into being like that, but still retaining like a certain sense of fun about it. So it, it, I think that without like scheming it out too much, it was like trying to course correct. Yo, sucker, you got a big mouth.
So before we move on, Gabe, do you want to bust out the jacket that's no longer here? <laughs> I'm going to share my screen for a second because uh, if I can, can I do it? Here we go. Yeah. You're a free man. Whoa. So my friend Hoser took uh, the Grill Biscuit 7-inch uh-huh. that I have on this box figurine yes. that I bought from your mastermind merchandise people uh-huh. uh he he hand drew this gorilla biscuit i paid him 50 bucks i said i want you to paint this gorilla biscuits I, I, cover on the back of my gas oh station my jacket God. i still can't believe that's hand drawn it that's looks incredible but i i had it like last couple of months ago i had it uh dry cleaned and it started flaking off and it kind of destroyed it so it's no longer with us is, is that is that is that before you dry cleaned it or is it this really is before fun? i dry cleaned it but i mean this is probably 20 years in what you're looking uh, at right now what that's that's a bummer but uh i know i'm not so gay was super it. excited to break out the jacket i was and, gonna break uh, it out and wear it and say you remember think? back in 1989 in milwaukee at the odd rock cafe and when i was Dude, wearing this jacket too i do, I do. <laughs> And, uh, that, it wasn't like there's was a lot of people with Gorilla Biscuit jackets at that time. <laughs> no, but, uh, uh, you know, you, you couldn't have been more than 20, 21 years old yourself touring the country mm-hmm. in, in a van with mm-hmm. all your buddies. Mm-hmm. And here I am coming along and I'm like, hey, you mind if I do an interview for my first zine here? And this was the jacket I was wearing at that show. And I wish I still had it, but I don't. Wow. Because you, you, you took it to the dry cleaners. I mean, to me, this is, yeah. this is a no brainer. What were you thinking, Gabe? I don't know I don't. what kind of paints he was using for this thing, but it's, it's, uh, I think he was trying to like, if I may, in your, in, in Gabe's defense, I think he was just trying to show the jacket some respect and get it <laughs> as fancy as possible. Right. Not some regular bullshit washing machine. No, this is, this is needs to be done by professionals and those professionals should have known that this is going to fuck up his jacket and that's on them. But uh, you know, here's a I weird mean, question. It's got a lot of Geraldo Rivera energy <laughs> though, you know? Here's the jacket. Oh, that's not the jacket. I know, I know. But oh, okay. In a somewhat related question, did you ever think that this cover of the seven inch would become the hardcore Eddie, like ah. from Iron Maiden? You know, the Maiden Eddie. Because this is an iconic picture. You know, this is like when you see this picture, you're like, oh my god, that's 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 the shit. I, I knew that it was a really good drawing for sure. I mean, I, I didn't really project that um 
that far into the future of like what it would be. <laughs> I just thought it was good, you know, and I, I knew when I saw this grill, like we fucking nailed this. This is this is amazing. I mean, not that we didn't. Billy 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 Bitter, uh, the bass player for Side by Side, uh, drew this, and uh, and I knew that that was a really good record cover because it was it was cool because. Um, like I was saying before, like Gorilla Biscuits is like sort of this cartoonish name, which I felt like a little bit, you know, oh man, did we, do, is our name too silly? But then with that, that character just perfectly makes it make sense, you know, that mm. it's this, this guy that's a gorilla, but he's like straight edge. He's scary. He's strong, but he seems like a good guy, you yeah. know, like he'd be a friend. Uh, did you think, did you think that 30 years later you'd be, Selling these figurines to fifty-year-old dudes? That I plan to hundred oh, <laughs> percent. That you got was, anything yeah. else over there, Gabe? Oh, I got a pen. Just wait, wait till we get to the other stuff. No. So is Gorilla Biscuits Quaaludes? Is that what that is? It's uh yeah. It was um we were talking about band name. I don't know. We weren't talking about band names actually. We were talking just having a conversation and uh, and Siv was um you know he was he he was just a kind of wild guy. Like he's such a great like storyteller. And um, at a, at an early age, he was just selling drugs to, to it, you know, at junior high or something. It's so, mm. it was so crazy to me that he was doing that. <laughs> yeah. And he was naming the, the drugs that he sold. And, um, and Gorilla Biscuits was one of them. And I was like, what? There's a thing called a Gorilla Biscuit. I mean, maybe, I think I've told the story. I don't think Siv feels bad. You know, he was like a little kid. He doesn't deal drugs now. He's straight edge. <laughs> right. But, but, um, uh, I thought that was such a funny name for a drug. And, um, and I'd never heard it. So I said, let's make that the band name. And he was down with it. So, how did you pivot from that scene into major label world with Quicksand? Um, did grill biscuits for a while and i think as gabe's uh book really shows like that whole sort of scene and the whole kind of uh, fire under grill biscuits and all that kind of stuff like it just kind of changed and um and so i kind of wanted to write different sorts of stuff um and with a more maybe i didn't know what it was but i knew i didn't you know this this music that we had done and that all these bands had like kind of jumped on started seeming to me as kind of formulaic mm. and uh and um you know people were still doing interesting things but um it started to get my first kind of itch of like doing something different like not wanting to maybe improve on the on the same thing and you know maybe in hardcore i felt like a certain amount of like you just kind of do a seven inch in an album anyway you know like minor threat they didn't really have that much material but i mean i i did continue doing gorilla biscuits for a while and i was writing some songs but like ultimately quicksand started to take off and um you know major labels like nirvana happened and then uh you know we had sold a lot of this ep that we had and we were just in a band that's in a good position to be one of the bands that people would want to go sign. And I think we were doing something, yeah, pretty special and unique for the time. You know, like there was other bands that I was definitely like influenced by. And, uh, but we kind of had our own voice and we're just well, you know, well placed as that whole kind of search for the next Nirvana started mm. to break out 
you know, we were like, why these guys could be that, you know? And, um, and so we were swept up in something that I just didn't really ever expect, but I wasn't mad at it at all. I was, I was was thrilled. I thought it was amazing and so exciting. Like everything that was happening in music at that time was just like, sort of like I I'd never saw that coming. You know, I just thought music was going to kind of suck for a long time you know yeah. with the exception here and there you know like oh yay guns and roses great you know like right. there just wasn't that much to compare to like you know when the clash were happening you right. know or, or or like when uh the b52s were coming up or you know the ramones or blondie or you know going back to the 60s it just didn't seem like anything cool like that would be popular you know, I mean, the Pixies, yeah, they were, they were cool. They weren't really popular. Right. They, were, right. they weren't on like, it wasn't like you could just talk to a normal person and say, oh, yeah, you know, Debaser. They wouldn't know what the fuck it was. Well, to hear Basso tell it, like everybody was after you guys at that time. Do you remember it like that? Uh, we had a moment where that was, it was almost like the, you know, I mean, it makes it sound bad. I was going to say it's like the Eye of Sauron. Like it just mm-hmm. switches on a certain band and like, it would be, you know, oh, did you hear so-and-so's, you know, getting going to get signed or blah, 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 blah. And so we were that band for, for a little while. And, um, you know, very lucky to have Joe Basso, like, really fought to get us on the label. And because he was so into it, like, we got a really good deal and got a lot of uh, just a lot of support and love from, from the label. So my experience with that was... Um, really you know was positive i mean i definitely learned some stuff and and got got in some you know kind of had to adjust to the 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 fact that okay this is a company with people that really support what you're doing but you know it is a company you know so i mean there's like different systems of doing things that i thought like well that doesn't make any sense you know um and um like what Oh, I guess the main thing that really, really drove me nuts was um, that the record budgets were so high and that that money would just be eaten by studios and all these people that I I just didn't understand why all why we had made a record for $1,500 last year that sold, you know, tens of thousands of copies, like three fucking songs or whatever right. it is. And now we can't do anything for less than like a quarter million dollars. Like, <laughs> like why, why is that? Like, give me, give me a, I'll, I'll save you a hundred thousand dollars. Just give me $150,000 and I'll get, I'll bring you a record and it'll be great. Right. And it just simply wasn't, that's just not how things were done, you know? And, and, or at least that I didn't know anybody that was, you know, I think later on people were like, okay, I get the money and I'm going to buy my, you know, a band buys their own studio and stuff right. and, and does all that. And there are examples of that, but maybe because of our management, maybe just the way, the way things were, the structure of our deal was not like that. And so um, that always irked me. But, you know, on the other side of it, I made peace with it. And I was just like, okay, you're not going to, get this money to spend in the way that you think is, is more wise, but um, you're going to get taken out to dinner a lot and you're going to get to go tour a tour bus 
And there's a lot going to be a lot of whole st stuff that's going to happen for you. That's going to be really nice and enjoy the ride. It almost seems like with the money that they offer you, though, comes with it, like all these people that you don't really know. It's like, yeah, they're going to give you this money. But this chunk of money is going to go to this dude for doing that. And yeah. that dude for doing this. And it's like, why? Yeah, I think it's just a system of, you know, sort of, of patronage and. Uh, right. You know, they create jobs so that people can get paid to do them so that relative to their salary, your salary can be higher as like a point of like that being a thing that someone gets paid for. And like you're just I don't know, stuff like that is what I thought. And, um, you know, the people at studios develop relationships with certain A&R guys. They they give them a break when they need it. And then they cash in on another job you know what i mean and right. you know these systems of patronage keep the music business going and that's how it works in, right. in that game um you know that started to fall apart eventually but yeah. uh at, but it was working great at that time right so was the process of recording that first record because of all that stuff going in your head was that difficult what, what was difficult about that first record uh i guess just that i didn't feel I didn't really have a concept of like, okay, so now we're with a producer. Like, what is a producer going to do? Okay. Like, you know, 
I guess that's something good because, you know, record people have producers and, uh, you know, the Beatles had George Martin or whatever. Mm. He was their producer and stuff like that. Um, so that sort of threw me a little bit because it was a feeling like at, while the producing side of it was was good, there was also be times where it's just like, I'm trying to make this record. Now I've got like this new force that's going to stand in the way of me and what I think should be done on this record. And that force is like backed up by the record the company. And so there's this sort of like dual, like there's a loyalty to the project, there's a loyalty to the artist, and there's a loyalty to the uh, company who's paying you. And, uh, and a loyalty to yourself to like, you know, uh, make the artistic choices that you think. Right. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of different hats being worn there. And, you know, when I was working with like Don Fury, like who was the producer in New York, who I had done like all my stuff, we were boys. We would just like hang and like he knew how to mic things up and we had just a good working relationship. And we would, um, there was no, no one standing between me and like whatever I wanted to do. Right. And the record label was like that too. But, you know, when you're working on a big ship, like like uh, the Polygram record company, it was like massive. There's so many people that have to sign off on so many different things. So it's just like that. You know what I mean? You And you feel it as the artist, you know, and my experience was, was probably was a really good one, to be honest. Like, I think I know people that had terrible experiences. Um, yeah. But you do feel it. And that was something that I was like, I, this is annoying um but on the other side of it there's also like this is an opportunity for a lot, lot more people to hear your music and i think you just had to go for that you know yeah. that's how i felt about it you know i just had to even though that had its problems too like it's gonna be just all the more embarrassing when it sucks or <laughs> you know what i mean or it, it, it or it'll be people will really like it. And then what will I do? What am I, is that going to be a, a good time for me? You know? <laughs> and so those things also came into effect for me as well. Um, so yeah, it was a trip. And also I was very, you know, very young. Yeah. Well, I mean that record as an aside, it definitely changed my life. I mean, that's the record that inspired us to send a tape to Joe Basso. And we ended up working with Steve Hagler, you know, partly because of the work he did with the Pixies, but mostly because his name is on slip, you know? So thanks for that. Oh, thanks Scott. That's awesome. I mean, it's cool to be part of, um, of a conversation like that, you know, where, you know, you're doing something, you're inspired by someone and you're doing your best to like, come up with something cool that inspires someone else that does, that does something cool. And, you know, there's certain lineages and stuff. So I'm, I'm really, it's very nice of you to say. So was the sound of manic compression conceived as a response to that record? I think I wanted to, I think I, so stupid. I'm such an idiot, but I thought that <laughs> that slip was like too, too accessible. We mm -hmm. had to react against that and do some, some sort of like, you know, maybe more jagged sounding thing. And right. I think the manic compression does have that jaggedness to it, but I think also there's still, you can't help. There's like melody and, 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 and pop elements to it. So, um, I think it succeeds and doesn't in, in ways, but I just wish, I think it's the, the, the sort of 
when I look back on that time is like the, the whole mood of it was really set by this. Um, and I don't want to blame it on Nirvana, but I think Nirvana epitomized this, like, I don't want to be successful. You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't want to like, I don't want to meet like, this is all bullshit. You know, I don't want to meet people halfway in in any sort of, way so you just come up with this sort of like you want to be successful but you can't act like it and this whole like you know that was such a thing and so i think it would have been smarter for me in a way to make something more accessible but instead i wanted to make something less accessible on a big label so what's the fucking point of being on a big label if you're not going to make something accessible (laughs) it's so fucking dumb but that is but i thought that was the right artistic choice at the time and like when it's all said and done the music still holds up people still you know relate to it and maybe they relate to it because it is some some has some of that assholeness into it baked in that rebellion whatever um but you know, we'll never know. I, there was one really good song on the record. Like it was like probably the best song we had at the time. Um, it's called uh, "Shovel," which we ended up putting on a on a comp. But it was really like poppy and had was had a catchiness to it that I don't think anything else that we had at the time did. And I I made such a stink and not I didn't make a big stink, but I I made sure that that record that song didn't make it on the album. <laughs> right, of course.
<laughs> so you know you know what I mean like that ethos was just yeah it, it just permeated and um but you know that aside like uh yeah manic compression was meant to be more jagged and I mean the first song is titled backwards so it's yeah. meant to be taken a step backwards you know and uh but I, th- I think it, you know there's lots of really cool stuff on it that works in that mode and other things that are poppy i think there's like really good songs on that record and um brown gargantuan's on that record brown gargantuas i think some of her best songs are on that record i think probably as an album maybe slip works better um but we had you know a lot of production problems and like where you know we were at the studio and it was a nice studio and we're working with um uh wharton tears great guy Mm -hmm. and uh I just didn't like the way that it was coming out and it was just, it felt flat to me. And, um, I had done like the Gorilla Biscuit album, uh, start today, which came out really, really great, but we started it off and we were recording at chunking, uh, studios, which is a fancy studio. And I was like, this thing sounds so flat. Like it's, it's not going to be good. So abandoned the, the record we did at chunking and recorded at Don Fury's, which is my, my friend. Yeah. And it came out fucking amazing, and it's and it's really good, and I end, that's how we ended up with the Quicksand EP, you know that chemistry. So, you know, I'm feeling like this thing with Wharton's kind of flat. And why are we doing this? We should just be at Don's. It'll sound more exciting. So we ended up working with Don, and it just got really sort of disjointed. And I think me kind of throwing a wrench in it, I think just hurt the cohesion of it even though i was just trying to make if they all freaking listened to me and did it you know from the beginning we would have been fine but there had to be a back and forth you know yeah. what i mean and right. everyone you know and everyone has their point of view you know what i mean so it's just like i was down to fight for mine in the way that i that i did uh and i won some battles and and other ones I, you know uh weren't worth winning you right. know and um so did that spill over to everything with the band? I think just generally, you know, we had toured so much on Slip. Like we toured like shitloads. Like I, I want to say like over 300 dates in a year. And, mm-hmm. you know, I could just remember going out on every week being on tour and like looking at fucking SoundScan and like we would be doing like a thousand a week. You know what I mean? So you're grinding. Yeah. And you're looking at the sales chart and it's just like fuck, bad for your brain. And yeah we're with each other all the time and um all just like not home not like feeling grounded in any way and um i think that really wore us out you know so i think by the time we were doing manic compression i think we were doing really really good stuff but i think it was more uh just more battling for everything and so after a while you're just tired like you know we agree on this like to 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 complete a, a two minute and 20 second song that we're all happy with takes like, you know, out, so many hours of battling, right. you're exhausted. You yeah. know what I mean? And so yeah. I think, I think we were kind of like winding down or, you know, that's how I saw it. Well, when you did the Civ record, did that sort of give you like, I, yes, a way out, like I can do this and enjoy myself and I don't have to do this other thing. It was just, it wasn't that I did it for that, but it was, an easy it was a relaxing thing you know it wasn't 
Walter. It was called Siv. So I mean, it's like me contributing. It was like Gorilla Biscuits. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to be like more of like not be the front person, to be behind something. Um, and I was working with people that I like really enjoyed their company. We would just laugh the whole time. So there was just no friction in it creatively. And it was, you know, quicksand had become very, you know, it's just sort of by nature has this like sort of heaviness to it. Like that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, where Civ was just fun and light. So, you know, uh, I had a, I had a great time doing that. And, uh, you know, not to say that I, I always had a good time with quicksand and we did fun stuff, but I guess maybe it just, it just felt heavier than, yeah. than Civ. I mean, that's what the music sounds that way too. So. Well, I mean, I was listening to the Civ record today and it's, it's like the missing link between Gorilla Biscuits and Quicksand. It's mm-hmm. like the record that you could have made going from one band to the other. Yeah. And it holds they, up. It's fucking great. Thank you. I think it's one of the best things I ever did, honestly, because it's just, we were all just so all on the same page and, uh, and it was fun. And there's just so many cool, like little segues. And um, I think everything really fits on that record. Um, so it's funny. I did both those records in the same year. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that you know, I'm pr- I'm proud of I'm proud of both of them. Those records are they're really you know, it was a super creative year for me. Civ, well, Civ kind of went off and did their own thing. Uh, so I didn't play live with them. And, and uh, so, you know, they kind of, yeah, they were off doing it in their own lane. With Quicksand, you know, ultimately we went on a tour. We just get, get along, you know, and, um, you know, we saw it decide like, you know, we we're talking about, well, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. And just like, well, forget it. Let's just quit. You know what I mean? And so we kind of just... It was sort of like, you know, 
I guess, you know, some, I think in a way, like we're trying to be artistically principled, you know what I mean? Right. I think that that's what we were trying to do. If your heart's not in it, you got to step away. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what our motive was. I think, you know, in hindsight, we could have just said, Hey, you know what? We've been spending too much time together. This whole, you know, thing that we're doing is, is, is taxing on us psychologically. And maybe if we took a break from it and we would come back to it with the different energy or, you know, maybe be more, you know what I mean? Like the kind of things that Mm -hmm. adults do. Yeah. Um, Yeah, right. Uh, and with Civ, yeah, they kind of did their own thing. So yeah, so uh, ultimately, you know, uh, that's when I felt the, the corporate shit really hit the fan for me. Um, was because I got signed as a solo artist. This is going to sound not that interesting, but I got signed as a solo artist. So, well, that's good news, right? So right. I'm still on a major label. You're going to give me a record. Okay, well start making some demos for your solo thing, whatever that's going to be. Right. Okay. Okay. I'll start, I'll start doing that. I know where this is going. This sounds really good. We really like this. Why don't you do, this is good Do do some more demos. Okay. So we can just get a better feeling for it and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Okay. I'll do that. And so, you know, you like that one song. So we'll, you know, make some more to make some more demos. Okay. Well, this is pretty cool, but um, someone's buying the the company. Right. Someone buys the company. Right. So then, then that takes like whatever, six months. And then I come in for a meeting and it's with all these like new people right. and they're all really cool people. Um, and they're like, okay, so, you know, everybody got dropped, got dropped and we want to do another, we want to go back to doing a record with you. So I'm like, okay, that's amazing. Like, you know, tricky got dropped, but I'm still here. Okay, right. good. That, that's great. People seem great. Okay, so start making demos for us now. So we start doing that. And like, okay, well, this is a cool song, but blah, blah, blah. So shit's years passing by. And I'm not like playing for anybody. Like I'm no longer playing live. I'm just kind of on this like demo subsidy program. And no one has, I'm not even saying anybody, surely no one had any bad will towards me. It's just they're all working within the constraints of like, I guess when you're like signed out of a contract, you know, like you're not the hot new shit thing. You're the thing that we, the bet that we're protecting sort of. Right. So like when you're the new artist that they had to fight for and sign like Quicksand once was, well then of course your music's great. Your demos are great. Let's go. But when you're not, they can just kind of put you in a place where it's just like, what, you know what? The money's not in the budget this quarter, maybe next quarter. Let's see where he's at at this time. But as an artist, I was in a sort of, it'll kill you because you're right. not getting, getting any oxygen. And the music I was making was really, really good. And I thought really, really, yeah, really, really good. But yet it wasn't hitting its mark, which was A&R people who right. were like out looking for bands that they have to actually get and they're following like how music is changing or like what the economic structure is of the company they're not thinking like oh well i just want to have walter make more demos i you know i wouldn't expect that but it's part of the bullshit system that you're you're in we got caught up in that whole thing too and i remember when polygram was bought bought by universal Mm -hmm. that's all they wanted you to do was make demo after demo after demo and yeah it got to the point i was like i got 30 demos come on shit or get off the pot here. What the fuck? You know, there's a record in here. I know there is. 
Yeah. And also you're coming from a, of a place of like, when, you know, you first got signed, like, it's like, let's go. Like, we love you already. Right. Now you're in a position where you have to prove your sort of, you have to hit an ima imaginary target that's being made up by, you know, the people in, in the A&R meeting, you know what I mean? And like, whatever's going on in their estimation of, of, uh, what makes sense with the label and what makes sense with, you know, the budgets that are coming. And so meanwhile, you know, you're, for me, I was like kind of on the one hand, yeah, getting, getting frustrated and feeling like, you know, what the fuck and time is passing by. And, um, but at the same time, you know, it wasn't like I was a victim either, you know, cause I could have like what you said, should like shit or get off the pot. I could have said, listen, I don't give a fuck anymore. Like I want out of my contract. I don't want to, even though you're paying my rent, which is cool and you guys are nice and you're doing, helping me survive. Like as an artist, I don't want to just survive. I need to like move. Right. And I think, I think for myself, I was just, I, I could have taken that tax. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, you know, I don't know why, um, you know, maybe management, you know, could have had an, it, it could have, could have stepped in in a way, but I think I was just like wanted the idea of making a record, you know, and and holding on to that idea in some way. I mean, I'm kind of psycho psychoanalyzing myself backwards, but um, <laughs> you know, ultimately, I hung in there. Yeah, and uh, and then Rival Schools was, the, you know, and I took some of those the demos that I still felt cool about and used them as a starting point. And you know there were people at Island Records that did b really believe in what we were doing. Uh, Rob Stevenson. I mean, I remember Rob was the one that kind of picked me off the roster, and said, "We're keeping this dude. Like, I want him." And Rob's a fantastic A and R guy. And um, and uh, you know, we 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 got our shot. You know, there there was like it really caught on in England and mm -hmm. uh, and in Europe and in in Australia. In the United States, it did okay. I think it was more. It just we didn't get a single in the United States, so that's more bullshit. You know, like we got a single in in, in England, and so it caught on. What was the single in England? Uh, Use for glue. Okay. It was like top forty for like a week, which was uh, amazing. You know what I mean? Like, because I'd never. I mean, I've written some really great songs and I think they're meaningful to people, but nothing that ever had legit been in the top 40 anywhere ever. It feels to me like it was worth it. I mean, the, the shit that you went through and the, and the fact, cause I mean, what's going to happen when you say, fuck off, I'm, I'm leaving, you know, you don't know if that's going to go well. Yeah. Well, I think it just would, it, I, th I just don't know if at that point, like I had really even made peace with like what I do, to be honest. I think I was just. Um. Yeah, I'm, I'm not beating myself up, up over no. it too much. But um, and you just put out a reissue of the record. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I think the, the ultimately the album came out really good, and I think we used used what I thought were some of the better things from the demos that I had done over the last two or three years. You know, so that stuff didn't go to waste. Right. And created something totally new and found an audience. So that that was actually really. A, a great a great moment yeah for me yeah i would agree <laughs> yeah definitely i think i got a handle on myself after rival schools like okay well i'm pretty legit now you know i've been mm. in a bunch of bands 
I've done this like successfully for a long time. Like this is what I do. How do you get your head into doing a third quicksand record after 22 years? I mean, that's a hell of a gap. Um, that was challenging because, you know, we just really didn't, um, we just, you, like, what do you do? Like, do you try to sound like what you used to sound like? And then, right. you know, at best, you know those records there's people that do it and it's like okay cool it's a return to form but it's not 
it's not as good. It'll, it can never really compare to what it right. was when it was in the right context. Right. It's like a stretched out sweater. It's, it's, it's not a return to form. Yeah. So, um, we just really had to keep throwing stuff against the wall until we felt like there was something that we all felt cool playing. And like, whatever that sound was going to be was where we were going to have to start. Um, you know, I conceptualized a bunch of things that I thought, oh, this would be a really cool quicksand song, but it requires everybody to be in agreement with that or the energy's off. So it took us a while to like, you know, and we were all in different degrees. Like Alan hadn't played that much. Uh, Tom had, had been in like a, you know, he, he just hadn't played music in a very long time. Mm-hmm. So Sergio was playing with Deftones. So he was pretty solid. Right. Um, and I had been playing, you know, continued playing. And so I felt pretty confident. But like, how do we make all the not that the, there was weak links. It was just like, how do we all gel to make it a stronger, bigger thing? And we just had to keep throwing stuff up against the wall and rehearsals and sound checks until we had like one idea that we thought this is really cool. If I heard this as a new quicksand thing, I would be I would be like, all right, I'm excited about this. And that that's and then we kind of went from there, but um, you know we just didn't want to keep touring the the old albums, and so we felt we had to do something new. I'm going to ask you, Walter, what you think of a term that your <laughs> band Quicksand is associated with, and, and I brought this up with Jay Robbins, and he almost gave me a, a, a crooked stare when I said it. Uh huh. What, what do you think of the word, the term post hardcore? It is what it is. I mean, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks being like a post something. You know what I mean? <laughs> But, you know, it's cool, like the after party, that's kind of cool, right? So it's kind of like an after party, but um, post is, is not the most exciting thing. I've heard but, post you know, is where all the good stuff is. Like, it kind of is, yeah, like post-punk, post-punk, yeah. right. When you think of it like post-punk, then, it, then it's cool. I guess with post-hardcore, it's not quite emo, but it's like sort of like the next step is emo. The next stop is emo um, or like some weird kind of experimental music, I guess. Right. Did a lot of emo bands look up to you as a godfather of emo? Um, I would, I definitely got, I think Rival Schools really kind of cemented. Yeah. Because we were definitely packaged in the, in the emo sensation of like the early 2000s. But, you know, I never felt that that's, not in that sense. I definitely love the emo stuff. And when I think of emo, I think of like Guy Pachotto from Fugazi being the ultimate emo guy and i'm definitely a fan of his right um, but uh but not in the sort of like uh you know the the way that i think it, it became really popularized you know and i like no, it's a lot no of longer rights of spring no is, it's not what you're exactly yeah, yeah. Right. okay that was a good question gabe what else you got you're putting me on the spot here uh there's sales now for the 30th anniversary of, of slip you know there's like a hundred variants out there and they're all every, every time I look there, they're all selling out. What, I mean, it seems like you put a lot of thought and work into the production of this project because there's like, uh, isn't there like a, a, like a book or something that comes with it? There is a book that comes with it. And I, I can't take credit for, I would say iodine records really just wanted to make this happen and put so much creative energy into it and did, did such a cool job. And uh, I just kind of jumped onto their, thing but um i did write excuse me i wrote a piece for it and i I think it came out really it came out good it's like uh it's not as long as the piece for good and plenty but uh (laughs) 
it, it's it's it suits it suits what what it is and um yeah i mean it's really it's very cool like to you know to kind of consider oh wow this album still is meaningful to people and and uh and still holds up and that that's shit man that's that's what you want so yeah it's, it's real i mean and Great. you're touring you got shows this year with rival schools and gorilla biscuits it seemed mm-hmm. like everything you've been doing for the past i don't know how many years is coexisting at the same time like you know your whole career right now is a flat circle that's a cool way of putting it yeah i um it's nice to be able to jump from one to the other because they each have you know there's definitely crossover between them but but they all kind of sit in different places and um i kind of draw inspiration from from all of them and uh you know something like quicksand is like you know creative like active creatively like writing new stuff and i get excited about that um and then grill biscuits is just more i feel like we're part of this cultural thing that um we're just sort of a soundtrack to to celebrate uh and i I feel super lucky to like yeah to be in that position um and i'm yeah i'm doing all kinds of stuff i got some solo stuff i've been trying to work on a new solo record um so you know being creative doing new stuff but um also drawing on this you know uh all the stuff that i've done it's 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 a you know i definitely appreciate it all it's a good position to be in yeah i was i was trying to find something that was like so rare that only two people would be able to relate to it Mm -hmm. okay and this this might may or may not be a good thing to talk about but when you do a search for this thing called walter sings the hits oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) you don't know what you're gonna get but it's pretty cool to hear oh. you to hear you singing the Start Today record. Did you think that that would make it out and people would be digging it like they do? Because I, I I I like it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> not at all. No, I did not expect that. But um, like there I, must have been a there must have been a tape you know amongst yourselves that you had. And well, it was somebody let it out. Yeah, originally it was um I was on tour with um I had, I was going on tour with Youth of Today in Europe. And we were trying to finish the vocals for the record. And and uh, so I made a vocal guide for Siv to like sing while I was gone. And um, so basically just went into the studio at Don Furies and just ran the whole album. And so like <laughs> by the end of it, I'm, my voice is, is pretty shot, but uh, it's pretty much just, I did it in an afternoon. And, um, and then when I came back from Europe, they had done uh, a version of Start Today, like uh, Siv and Don and and, and uh, the other guys had done a version. I wasn't happy with it, so we recut the vocals. And I think that would be an interesting tape to hear because it's like a lot more poppy um, version of Siv singing it. And um, I remember, you know, I wasn't crazy about it, but it probably was, was really good too. Like that might have been, you know... People might have loved that just as much. I, I made it more screamy, I think, or I like pushed for it to be that way. Did that point the way to you wanting to sing in your own band? Yeah, well, it may, definitely made me think like, why can't, wouldn't it be easier if 
I mean, not for Gorilla Biscuits, but it, in a band, like, wouldn't it be easier if I just sang and I didn't have to like, <laughs> you know, right. kind of show someone else how I think they should sing it. You know right. what I mean? Like, shouldn't I just do it? And like, wouldn't that be kind of all right? So I guess like singing the Gorilla Biscuits album, I guess it got out. And I do remember here getting, when it did get out, I did get compliments for it. So that made me think, oh, well, shit, you know, maybe I could do that. Yeah. All right, Gabe, you want to bust out your big question? Oh, which we, way do you think this is going to go? I, I, I have an inkling I know which way it's going to go. Uh, oh, but I wow. remember when I, when I saw you, I saw Grill Biscuits and Judge and Bold at Club Dreamers in Chicago in 89, that, that summer of 89. Uh-huh. And uh, before you guys were setting up, you were set, you know, checking your guitars and stuff, I remember you were playing LaGrange on the guitar, you know, ZZ Top. Uh-huh. And I'm like, wow, these these guys actually know how to play. They're not just, you know, uh-huh. You know, two chords in a in a verse or whatever. Uh-huh. So that's that's enough to impress you. Yeah. Oh yes. I, I was like, because this is my these first guys time at the ZZ Top. <laughs> oh yeah. But the question that we have, the running gag between Ben and myself is we asked the guests if you had to pick between two bands that you could have in your collection and that's it. Uh-huh. Uh between the two, who would you pick? The replacements uh-huh. or Iron Maiden? Replacements. Oh no. <laughs> Give me a, give me a hard one. I was on a roll. <laughs> exactly, my friend. I was on a Ben. What'd you pick, Ben? Did you pick replacements? Gabe, I want to ask you. I have a question for you. At the beginning of this interview, you uh, were talking about Walter's intro to your book, and you said, "I never got a chance to thank you for this." How, why? How have you not had a chance to thank him for this intro? Uh, right. I don't right, think Gabe. we. I don't think we talked. Uh, you know, we we communicated by email mostly, and uh-huh. uh, it just came. <laughs> it it got me by surprise when uh, when it when I got the text of it before the print, uh-huh. and I don't think I ever got a chance to to say thanks for what you wrote. I don't think I did. So you had right. his email. How was that? What kind of a thing is that? What kind of a way is that to treat your? <laughs> Have you ever written a thank you note? Right. What, what what if somebody gets, sends you a Christmas card? Do you ever give them a thank you note? <laughs> hey hey wait. That's low blow there, but I, I just felt like uh, I didn't know you well enough to just go out on my way and write an email saying thanks. But I guess I should have. I guess I should have said, "Hey, this was pretty cool of you just hey, to take your time." Hey, you, you, thank you. It was implied. It was. It was. <laughs> and, and I. And it wasn't some like, "Oh, I'm going to be a nice guy to, to Gabe and be a nice." Guy. I was honored to do it. So you know that that of all the the bands and things that you did, which was so extensive and I think so cool and and really is an interesting artifact on that time, like uh, that I was the one that you would ask to write something like that. It was an honor for me. So I thank you, and I, I think I might even wrote you a note about that. To be honest, Gabe, I'll, I don't know if I have the email. I have to look look back. You're a, but, uh, you're a thoughtless prick. We, I'm just kidding. Get it. Before 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 time slips away from us, thank you for doing the podcast. Oh, come on. It's a pleasure. And I'm just kidding. Like, uh, it's... Uh, I'm not. Yeah, well, I, I, I appreciate that. And it's it's really cool to um, to reconnect and to, to that that we still get to talk about this kind of stuff and that we're all still still active in this world and... and uh, you know, definitely uh, as Slip hits its 30th anniversary, uh, it's especially poignant to be on, on this podcast. It's really, really cool. Oh, my God. That's a perfect uh, cue. <laughs> Doesn't Siv do most of your art now for, for your merch? 
He does the yeah. He does the, a lot of the t-shirts. You yeah. guys have some of the best merchandise I've ever seen. I can't that pizza box package that you did. Uh huh. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get Scott to do something for 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 local age like that. I'm like, we got to do something. You know. What's wrong with ours? <laughs> you don't have a pizza. Who's box. in charge of your merch, there, hey. Gabe? Yeah. Who's in charge don't have of a, our merch, you don't Gabe? Have a figurine. Just do it. Do a pizza box. Who cares? Do it. I don't know. It's we're great. gonna come up with something, but you know, I was watching. A video of your show from a couple months ago where you had this big old fat backdrop and, and it's just like mesmerizing it it makes you dizzy looking at it but it's so oh, cool man. you know it you bring cool. out the horn players and, and everybody jumps on stage i'm like this is like it's 1989 all over oh man it's a, it's a lot of fun and it's so cool that it's like um you know it, and the other thing i was saying like i really like you know, being to dip into these different musical things, but it's also like the friendships, you know, like I'm so tight with all these people, like, you know, with the quicksand guys, grill biscuit guys, rival schools that like, I'm tight with like all my friends from that, from these different eras. And I've known them, most of them, I've known them since high school. And like, that's really special. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I really like appreciate that. And um, yeah. GB shit's like always so fun. Cause it's like multi-generational. So it's like, us you know people are kids age you know what i mean and like obviously there's a lot of a lot of different age groups in between so and there's not many people from that time that are still able to play four or five different bands at any given moment mm. like, who else is out there doing that i don't know man it's not for know. the meek <laughs> i'm waiting for the book waiting yeah. for the book oh thank you Thank you very much, Gabe. I appreciate you. This was fun. Gabe's going to write the intro for your book. Okay. <laughs> that would be great. I don't know about that. And then you could take uh -huh. your time thanking him. <laughs> <laughs>